You know, today is the end of the series Fixer Uppers, and I know Dee Dee's done such a good job in uplifting what we wanted to uplift in Fixer Uppers, and the point has been this, right? Uh, we basically used the, um, the television, reality television show that, um, uh, that featured, you, you know, the, the couple and, and, and the, the old house and what it looked like, and then uh, you know, before the, the show's over, you've got this brand new house and everything looks great, right? And we know that's not the way it is with our lives. We're all fixer-uppers. Uh, we are. Whether you think you are or not, you are a fixer-upper. And, and it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring about that new in us. So we've, we've focused on the seven deadly sins in this sermon series. Uh, we may have called them different names. Today it's laziness. We know that that seven deadly sin is sloth, right? But today we're looking at what the Holy Spirit wants to do in taking us from laziness to a place of passion. A, a passion for God. A passion that makes all things new. Now when the Bible speaks about um, a heart, the Bible's not talking about a, a physical organ in us, right? For the most part, when the Bible talks about the heart, the, the Bible's talking about a place, kind of a place, a spiritual place in each of us. And today we're going to be looking at the great psalm, the 51st psalm. I love this psalm. It's David's confession, basically. And, and in this confession, David says this about the heart. Teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Okay? And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And, and put a new and right spirit within me. The place of the heart that David's speaking of is, yes, it's the body, but it's it's also our brains, it's also our psyche, it's the place where the powerful emotions reside or, or where we might say it's the place of our passions, our convictions. That's the heart. Now, Father Anthony DeMello, he once said this, I think it's very wise. He said, people mistakenly assume that thinking is done by their head. It is actually done by the heart. The heart dictates the conclusion, then commands the head to provide the reasoning that will defend it. You know, that's the way it is, isn't it? Too often. Now, we think we're reasonable people. We think that we weigh the pros and cons and that every decision we make is rational, right? Good luck with that. You know, how many of us go through life like that? You know, we go through life making decisions, some of them not very rational. If, if they were all rational, if they were all in keeping with what we know in, to be in keeping with God's will and God's way, then, then we wouldn't be snapping at one another. We wouldn't be sabotaging relationships. We wouldn't be demeaning one another. There wouldn't be racism. There wouldn't be classism. There wouldn't be ageism. Can we go on? We don't operate like that. We're driven by passions and emotions and perhaps more so today than I've ever seen before and here's King David most powerful person in all of Israel and, and in order to understand the 51st Psalm we have to understand what gives rise to it and that's David's 
laziness in his relationship with God. David had, had, had gotten so lazy in his relationship with God that he thought that, 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 that he was the ultimate being, that he was the king and there was no other king of his life. And, and therefore he could see other people as subjects. And he lived out of that reality. Now, I know Crosswalk knows the Bible. I have to teach the Bible with the other congregation, but Crosswalk pretty much knows the Bible. And, and you know the story of David, right? So I'm really speaking to the choir, so to speak. But you have David, the, the powerful shepherd boy, once shepherd boy, now king. And he's uh, in his palace, uh, and, and he looks down on the rooftop, and uh, there's a woman bathing on the rooftop. Her name is what? Bathsheba, see what I'm telling you? And Bathsheba, he desires Bathsheba. He wants Bathsheba. Now, I know last week was lust, but I didn't get to preach, so I'm kind of getting a little in right now. <laughs> he lusts after Bathsheba, right? And so he takes her to his own. He's not thinking with his head. He's driven by other passions that causes him to take another man's wife to his own. And this man... Her husband is Uriah, a very loyal soldier in his army. And, and so uh, after this act of passion, it's discovered that she's now pregnant, expecting a child. So what does David do? He, he first lies and has Uriah furloughed and come home so that Uriah will sleep with his wife so that uh, all will be covered up, but Uriah's too loyal. He's in the midst of battle. He's not going to do that. He's going to uh, stay true, and, and so he doesn't sleep with Bathsheba. And so David wants to cover it up again, and this time he goes to an ultimate extreme. He gives the generals an order that they're going to go into battle, and then he's going to call everybody to retreat, but nobody told Uriah. And so there Uriah is in front of the enemy, and when all of the army of Israel retreats, there's Uriah, and he's killed. So now David's uh, adultery has led him into what is not only lying, but now murder. And so he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and she conceives a child, or she um, uh, births a child, and that child is, it dies. Now later on they have Solomon, but... That's along another part of the story. And, and here's David in the midst of all of this, this turmoil. And Nathan comes, the prophet Nathan comes to him in his boldness. And Nathan tells David a story. He said, uh, and he appeals to his shepherdness. He says, David, I want to tell you a story about this shepherd who had everything that he wanted. Just like David, he could have had any person in the kingdom as his, his wife. But he has to have Uriah's wife. He says the shepherd had everything he wanted, everything. He has so many sheep, and yet he sees this poor shepherd who just has one sheep that the shepherd loves so very much, and the shepherd with all the sheep takes that sheep for his own. And David said, bring me this man. I want to see this man. This man needs to come to justice. And Nathan said, what? You are the man. You're the man. David could have had Nathan killed. But he knew Nathan spoke the truth of God. 
And so what we have in the 51st Psalm is this beautiful, contrite heart saying, God, you're the only one who can help me out of this mess. Have you ever been there? And too often, we're counting on our own abilities, right? David's past that. He knows where he has to go for his salvation. Now, I'm going to read this today from the message version of the Bible. Because I love it. Now, we'll miss some of the language that some of you who know the 51st Psalm, you'll just hear that in your head, okay? But here's what I want us to hear. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I've violated. And you've seen it all. Seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. In the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry. And I'll come out clean. Scrub me. And I will have snow white life. Tune me in the foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't you love that? You know what I love about it? It it is in no way saying that we can fix ourselves. That only God can fix us. And it's not even the things that we need to focus on. It's the relationship with God that we have to focus on. Because God will never lead us astray. David had become lazy in his relationship with God. And then he he did just about anything he wanted to do. And he strayed away from God as far as you could stray. He saw other people as his subjects. And rape and objectifying women. That wasn't out of the question. When he was out of relationship with God, he saw lying was a lifestyle and he featured it in his cover-up. Murder was a convenient way to cover his tracks. Even though the one he killed was one of his most loyal soldiers. And when he became convicted of his own sinfulness through Nathan's prophecy, He calls on God and you see the way he describes God. He doesn't talk about God's wrath. He doesn't talk about God's judgment. He doesn't talk about how how powerful God can be in bringing us down. He says, God, you're the God of mercy. You're the God of grace. You're the God of steadfast love. And that's the God that I need to make things right with me. It is so pure. In its understanding of who God is. Is a God of love, mercy, and grace. 
Then he says this. Against you alone, O God, have I sinned. Against you alone have I done what is evil in your sight. Now when my men's Bible study looked at this this week, they they called foul. They said, what does David mean saying to God, against you alone have I sinned? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about his people? David says, against you, you alone have I sinned. The deeper meaning of this is is what I think we, we all need to tune into. David knows that his wayward heart, that his his passions that were led so far astray, that his relationship that he has shelved due to his laziness has caused him to do things he would never, ever have thought of. And David knows that if that relationship with God isn't right, then there's no relationship that is in, in a good place. You get this relationship right, and God will make all those other relationships coincide with it. When this relationship's not right, you can see other relationships start start to deteriorate. So David has a single focus. God, it it is my relationship with you. This is my sin. And everything else I've done is just a it's just a byproduct. Of my sin. And that is. I've neglected my relationship with you. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. The good news is that David puts his whole trust in God. To make things right. To give him a new heart. He doesn't trust his own ability. He doesn't think he can make it right. He doesn't think he can do enough. You know oftentimes when we're thinking about laziness. We're thinking about the opposite of laziness. Is doing stuff. Not so. Here David's saying the opposite of his laziness and his neglect of God is becoming passionately in relationship with God who will set everything straight. David recognizes how vulnerable we can be in our sloth. He recognizes that that, that we can get to that place that we... That, that we say, never do today what we can put off till tomorrow. Never start something that, that will be a risk of failure. Let, you just name the person, let them do it. Just don't get me involved in it. Spiritual laziness looks a lot like Not caring. And David knows that when he is in relationship with God, that he cares about all others. You know, sometimes I think we Christians get lazy in that we think that that, that conversion and change of heart is something that just doesn't happen. We buy into the concept or the saying, you can't change a leopard's spots. When the heart and soul 
of our faith is about conversion. It's about change. Not just a one-time thing. But conversion and change that the Holy Spirit brings off over and over and over again. We're fixer-uppers and guess what? It takes a lifetime for us to get fixed. Because the Holy Spirit's always working on us. Because we're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just fix us and run off to the next show. God fixes us because He cares. And He wants the very best for us. And when we recognize that's who God is and that's who we need to be to God, then things become right. You know what I did this past week? Say what? What I did this last week was I thought of people over my 30 plus years of ministry who still stand out today as people who had such a conversion, such a a life change, such a change of heart that their, their testimony still speaks to me. And I can think of one after another. Some of those people I've lost touch with, I need to reconnect. But I thought of one man in particular who I met 20 years ago in the Pallage unit, prison unit, down in Palestine, Texas. His name was Ricky, is Ricky. I, I met him there and I was greeted by his warm smile. He was a big, strong guy. And, and yet, his smile and the gentleness of his spirit just made you want to love him. Because you felt so much love coming from him. I remember that what drew me in part to Ricky was that, that he and I were the same age. And when he was 19 years old, he first went to prison. He was a repeat offender. So by the time I met him, he had spent much more time in prison than he had spent out of prison. I remember writing letters for Ricky on his behalf when he'd come up before the board and three times he was denied. He grew up in South Dallas, single parent home. He never knew his dad, never. But I remember once in a testimony to his fellow inmates and to all of us who were involved in the Alpha program, we were impacted too when he said, when the Holy Ghost got hold of me, I began to see a man that I really didn't know or like. I had become lazy in my going to church and in my relationship with God and everything cratered. Then I immersed myself in God's Word. I put my hand to the plow and I never looked back after reading Jesus' words in Luke, the ninth chapter, the 62nd verse. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I felt God call me and I knew that I could never go back to being the man that I was before. And he didn't. For 20 years I knew him inside the prison walls and I saw his work walk. When he was released he got out and the first place he came was to this church. He had supporters here. We, we gave him a job here at the church. I mean, we'd been in relationship with him for 20 years, so 
We knew exactly who Ricky was. He was a great employee, and he was here until he got a better job. But I'm so proud of this church. I'm so proud that Ricky knew that he could come here to the safety of this church to continue to live out his relationship with Christ. Friends, I want to end this service a little different today. I've been playing my guitar and singing in the last two services, and now I have professionals. So this will be better. I want us to enter a time of prayer. For weeks we've been in this series and we've looked at things envy, lust, all these negative emotions and passions that clutter up our relationship with God. We don't need to be lazy in that relationship. We need to see it as the main thing. Because when we're in relationship with God, when we have a passion for God, when we have a holy obsession with God, it's amazing how things fall into place. Even when bad stuff happens, and it will, it does, you've got that grounding in a relationship with a merciful, gracious, steadfast, loving God who enters life with us all the time always there, precedes us. We need to acknowledge that. That's who God is. So let's everybody get in an attitude of prayer, whatever that means for you. Maybe it means coming to the altar. Maybe it means just sitting quiet in your chair. But I hope this song is your prayer. It's mine. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. Go and follow hard after you. Know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in your truth. The world is empty, pale and poor. Compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on and I'll run after you. Lead me on and I'll run after you. Where are you right now? God stands there, just as he did for David. Just waiting. With the same mercy and grace and love that David knew he had. David knew he would not be different, even though David was different. Maybe today's the day.
just like with Ricky. I put my hand to the plow. And I didn't turn back. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent ambition for my life. Run and follow hard after you. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. Go and follow hard after you. Go and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in the truth. The world is empty, pale and poor. Compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on, and I'll run after you. Lead me on, and I'll run after you. Lord, you've heard our prayers. Be Lord and King of our lives. Let us be subject only to you. Amen.